0: Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination, Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Whitlow. Hey all, happy holidays. Today's tale begins in Canongate Churchyard, Edinburgh, Scotland. The date 1841. A young writer meanders through the graveyard, perusing the tales to be seen on the markers. No doubt he looks on the resting place of the father of economics, Adam Smith. Smith's tomb is substantial, but bears a simple engraving. Here are deposited the remains of Adam Smith, author of The Theory of Modern Sentiments and Wealth of Nations. So much more could surely be said about one of the great philosophers of his age. Perhaps a novelist in this day and age might pause and wonder who was Smith's one true, unrequited love. He never married or had children, as evidence in a Spartan epitaph. He uncovered the invisible hand that moves the market, but dismissed the hand of Cupid, pulling at his heartstrings. Adam Smith, The Wealth of Romance. There's a title. He must have stopped to view the gravestone of the poet Robert Ferguson, a well-liked man about town whose works were really starting to gain some attention. Ferguson's career was suddenly cut short after he took a suspicious tumble down a stairway. In spite of his protests, Ferguson was taken to hospital, where he would die of a head injury days later. His stone bears an epitaph from his friend Robert Burns. No sculpted marble nor pompous lay, No storied urn nor animated bust. This simple stone directs pale Scotia's way To pour her sorrows o'er her poet's dust. It was, however, another gravestone entirely, which caught the author's imagination. A simple block of granite inscribed Ebenezer Lennox Scroggie, Mean Man, 1792-1836 to The headstone made an impact on the writer, a 29-year-old, Charles Dickens. He's said to have wondered what kind of monster Mr. Scroggie must have been to have earned the appellation Mean Man, especially in an age full of mean men not remembered so. I don't know if Dickens inquired about Scroggie, although we now know him to have been a rather hedonistic young man who matured into a successful vintner, whiskey maker and corn merchant. He was of note in 1822 for supplying the food for a royal visit to Edinburgh, and was the British Navy's sole supplier of whiskey. It's been suggested Dickens misread that day that the grave actually said Meal Man, but we'll never know. During a construction project in 1932, Scroggie's grave marker was inexplicably lost. What is certain, as the tale percolated in Dickens's mind, Scroggie gave way to Scrooge, and one of the great characters of Victorian literature was born. I'll have a little more to say on Dickens's 1843 novella, A Christmas Carol, in a second. The first should address if Ebenezer Scroggie lent his name to the character of Scrooge, but was not his actual character. Just who was the narrative source for the old miser? The answer most often given... John Elwes, the miser of Marcham Park John Elwes was born John Meggett on 7th of April 1714 to Robert and Amy Meggot in Southwark. Born to a wealthy but extremely parsimonious family, it is said Amy accidentally starved herself to death in an effort to save as many pennies as possible on the groceries. And yes, I know it could be anorexia or any other number of things. John found himself orphaned as a young boy and in charge of a hundred-thousand-pound fortune, just shy of 22 million US dollars now. As a result, he had a far more comfortable childhood than many of his peers. Having studied at Westminster School, John left on the Grand Tour, mixing with foreign aristocracy and making a name for himself as an excellent horseman. Tiring of the company of the likes of Voltaire, John returned to Britain where he continued to live the high life. His worldview changed dramatically, however, by the middle of the 18th century. As wealthy as John was, and I'm sure he wanted for nothing, his aging uncle, Baronet Harvey Elwes, was considerably wealthier again. Uncle Harvey was a renowned cheapskate to boot. The baronet never married, never fathered a child. The only heir to his 250,000-pound fortune was young John, pampered rich kid that he was. In all likelihood, in an effort to win fortune and favor from Uncle Harvey, John changed his ways, first changing his surname to Elwes, then adopting his uncle's skinflint ways. When Harvey died in 1763, he left the £250,000 to his nephew. For some reason never stated, John Elwes never went back to his freewheeling ways. Instead, he chose to live a lifestyle that would make a Hetty Green or a John Paul Getty blush. Well, first let's talk about the candles. Probably the least of his sins, as a tallow candle was both hideously expensive and smelled awful when lit. John Elvis was notorious for never using candles when moving around his stately home at night. He would much rather bang into the furniture and put his fate in the lap of the gods when traversing stairs than waste an average weekly wage on several hours of candlelight. Most nights, Elwes would also sit in the kitchen with his help, as they would insist on lighting a fire, and he refused to get a second fire going. Worse, Elwes refused to fix a growing number of leaks in his roof. This was in spite of the fact the water was getting into the house and starting to rot it out from under him, not to mention all the ruined antique furniture the leaks caused. The miser always looked a mess, he wore the same suit for months on end, both day and night, till his clothes turned to rags. Wigs being popular in his day, he refused to buy one. His wig, some worn-out old rug, salvaged after some passing pedestrian tossed it into his garden. He would often refuse to catch a cab of raining, instead tromping through the deluge, and sitting around soaked at the other end, as he was too cheap to dry his clothes in front of the fire. He kept food till it went mouldy or putrid. And he was well known for going out to meet friends, then taking a pancake or a hard-boiled egg out of his jacket pocket to avoid spending money at a restaurant or tavern. One tale has it. One dark night while walking home, John Elwes took an awful tumble. A doctor was called in to dress his injuries, deep gashes to both his legs. Elwes not only refused to let the doctor treat his second leg, he wagered the cost of his treatment on his untreated leg healing sooner. By chance it did, something he crowed about for several months. In 1772, Ellers would be elected Member of Parliament for Berkshire, a job he'd hold for the following 12 years. A complete maverick who voted for whichever side pleased him that day, he drew derisive comments from other parliamentarians, such as he could never be a turncoat as he only owned the one coat to start with. He eventually stepped down from the then unpaid job, as it was costing him too much money to serve. While John Elwes is widely considered the model for Dickens's Ebenezer Scrooge, I think it is fair to point out, in some ways he was very far from a real-life Ebenezer. Dickens' Scrooge is shown on Christmas Eve counting his money, while his employee, Bob Cratchit, freezes in the anteroom. For a start, we know he never denied his help a fire for themselves. Scrooge is visited by his nephew, Fred, and two charity collectors, all out for something from him. The men are met with an aggressive response. Fred himself sent packing with a bar humbug. Elwes was known to give to charity and invest in the upgrade of parts of London, Much of the Georgian architecture present in London owes to his redevelopments. He may never have had one true lost love, such as Scrooge's Belle, but he had relationships with at least two women who bore him illegitimate heirs. Nor, I believe, would he have let Bob Cratchit's poor son, Tiny Tim, suffer unnecessarily, or been spoken about on his passing by his debtors as an unforgiving ogre. To others, John Elwes was a very caring man who often gave out loans knowing full well he'd never see the money back. He passed on in 1789, leaving a 500,000 pound fortune, 81 million dollars by 2020 money. But he also spent a lot of money in making others happy. His biographer Edward Topham summed him up, stating, To others he lent much, to himself he denied everything.